Jonathan Walsh here. Welcome back to a special AFL Draft preview edition of Don the Start. Uh, we uh, unexpectedly organised tonight, so we've gone a couple of minutes early. And as always, I'm joined by my trusty co-host, Dan Hume. Hume, it's been a little while since we've done one of these. How are you, mate? Yeah, good. A lot's happened since we, we've spoken. It was uh, I went back and looked. It was uh, the first week of September, so over two months ago. And Quite a lot has happened uh, with the club since then. We're not going to spend a whole heap of time looking over that. We will cover it briefly because we know everyone's really interested in what's coming up with the national draft in a couple of weeks' time. And we're really lucky tonight that uh, Jasper Chalafa, the uh, resident expert from the Inner Sanctum on the draft, has agreed to join us uh, in the space tonight. Jasper, thanks for coming on. Yeah, Hume and, and Jono, firstly, thank you so much uh, for for having me, um, thank you for inviting me. And as as I've mentioned to you before, you know what you created with Don the Stat has been uh, fantastic for Bomber supporters in 2022 and hopefully beyond. Uh, well, we've had our we've had our pre um, pre 2023 meeting, and we are going ahead next year. So uh, hope, <laughs> hopefully that's good good news, good news to people out there and and enjoy what we're putting out. But look, uh, everyone's heard a lot about us, but tell us a bit about yourself. Where what's your what's your background and and where have you come from, I guess? Oh, yeah. Well, I, I cover the, the AFL and the AFL draft for the Inner Sanctum um, over the past couple of years. That includes watching a lot of underage footy throughout the season. I have a rolling power rankings that are updated monthly. And then towards the end of the draft cycle, I release a couple of phantom drafts based on my you know, myriad of factors, including you know conversations with draftees over the year. Um, personally, I'm in the midst of postgraduate law study and also work at Triple M Footy. So... I'm fortunate to be in and around the, the footy industry a lot these days. Um, I'm a Dons fan like you guys, which is probably why you've invited me on. If I was a Blues fan, I don't think I'd be here. But uh, I was indoctrinated from by my dad from from an early age who kind of watched the 84-85 the era. Um, I think Terry Danaher was his favourite um, player. He, he wore number five on his back and, and I did the same as well because James Heard was my favourite player. So that's kind of where I've um, come from and I've learned to love the Dons despite the heartache. I'm only 23 years old, so I missed 99 and 2000, um, unfortunately, mm. but uh, hopefully there's some success around the corner. Yeah, fingers fingers crossed. I mean, and this could be the starting point, you know, pick up the right player in the draft and it can change uh, the course of a team's trajectory. Um, I guess, how did you get involved with the looking looking at the draft stuff and, and looking at the, the future players? What was what was the impetus behind that? And then how did you become the Inner Sanctum's draft expert? Yeah, well, I've always had a real interest in the draft. And um, speaking of the Inner Sanctum, they gave me my first opportunity really in the sphere. It was founded by Jack Hudson in 2020 after um, you know being effectively fed up with the news that made headlines in sports journalism in Australia, the way that mainstream media kind of goes about their reporting. We, we personally strive for equal coverage of men's and women's sport in Australia. Um, we cover clubs equally and objectively as possible and overall aim to give readers in-depth access to players and clubs that isn't offered by print media. So um, in that space, the draft is hardly covered by you know footy pundits until a month before. And then you get maybe a couple interesting interviews. AFL.com.au does a pretty good job with Cal Toomey. Um, he's leading in that sphere. But other than that, you have to go to Draft Central or um, you know, other places off the beaten track to really find anything about the, the incoming crop throughout the year. Um, so that's where I came in there. I you know, got in top contact with Hutto and a friend of Don the Stat, Todd Davey, um, and, and jumped aboard. And it's been a, a great ride ever since. Um, and yeah, that's basically how I got into the, to the AFL draft sphere. And I've loved it. 
And are there any players, mate, uh, if you were to, to buy a Bombers jersey tomorrow, whose number would you be putting on the back? Who do you like getting to the footy and watching now? Um, my favourite player after Hurdy um, was probably Waller. It was maybe a, a few years of Heppel, but I think Waller coming in 2016, um, he was absolutely my favourite. I absolutely adored him. And, and to see him coming back, I know we'll talk a little bit more about him later, Jono, but um, to see him come back has been sensational and, and it would be number 43. Awesome. I like it. Yeah, as you say, you know, it's really good that he's he's coming back and, you know, you get to enjoy him at least, hopefully, for at least more than the next year. But, you know, even if we get one more year out of him, you know, I think that'll be create some special memories. Um, and as I said at the start, you know, lots happened since the 8th of September when, when we last spoke. Obviously, uh, the appointment of Brad Scott, we won't go into that because... Uh, as Jono said to me before the show, it's a bit old news now. Um, but obviously looking forward to how that plays out over the next uh, year or so. And the external review, the, the findings of that have started to come out and have started to make the appointments uh, based on that. So a variety of new appointments, and I'll just uh, summarise a few of them and, and we'll get Jono's thoughts. And then Jasper um, will hear from you as well if you've got any uh, ideas on them. But uh, Lee Tudor has been transferred over to the full-time VFL coach, which meant has meant that Brent Stanton is now a full-time development role, which I think is the role he had when he was at Carlton. Uh, Travis Cloak, VFLW coach, and also doing an AFL development role. Michael Hurley is also a development coach. Ben Jacobs is a development coach and assistant midfield coach um, with a focus on contested work. Uh, Daniel McPherson, the general manager of performance, and Cam Roberts as head of development. So there's a lot of names there, John, and you've, You've written down some thoughts about uh, pretty much each of them. Uh, what have you? What are your uh, perceptions of how these uh, will assist Essendon going forward? Yeah, I think there's two parts here, isn't there? I think firstly we've gone from being completely and hopelessly under-resourced in player development and player welfare, and, and it's no surprise we haven't had the results that we would have liked. And and I think we've also lost players in their prime who were going through some challenges and, and we weren't able to, at least I guess from the outside looking in, weren't able to support them. Uh, you know, people like, uh, you know, Adam Saar went off to Carlton Fantasia. We weren't able to get right. He went back home. Um, you know, Joe Danaher, we weren't able to support through his problems. And, and the list kind of goes on from there. So, you know, I think what this does do is firstly show how far behind we were. Um, but then the second part of this is the quality of those resources. And I think that's that's obviously a little bit more subjective. Everybody will have a view on that. I think, uh, you know, Lee Tudor was an assistant coach of the Swans during a successful era. He then went to the Cats and was their BFL premiership coach in, a, in 2007 and helped, them, helped set them on a path of a sustained success. He was at the Saints when they were um, making grand finals. He was at the Kangaroos under Brad Scott as, as his senior assistant when they were making prelims. So I think his credentials are as good as anyone. He's got a working relationship with Brad Scott, as I mentioned, which I think will be important. He's had three seasons at Essendon, but two of those were were really highly compromised given the the hub situation and restrictions in and cutbacks in resources, you know, coming off a low base already and then obviously had a lack of help in, in 2022. So I think the – and I think the big thing here that, that we need to take stock of is Brent Stanton – was a VFL coach last year in a part-time role. Uh, didn't have, you know, great access to players and 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 whatnot. And and this role's now been elevated to full-time. So I think that can only be a good thing. And I think we've got a really good man in that job. And then Ben Jacobs and Brent Stanton, uh, you know, are players that that got the absolute most out of themselves throughout their career. Neither was blessed with a heap of 
natural talent, but they got where they did through work ethic. And I think when you you hear snippets from the review about how our players weren't working hard enough or weren't pushed hard enough and our standards weren't high enough, well, these are two guys that had really high standards in how they went about their career. And, and I know Robert Shaw speaks really high, highly of Ben Jacobs' leadership qualities. He was one of his captains when he was coaching Brighton Grammar. Uh, Mick Hurley obviously speaks for himself and what he means for the footy club. Daniel McPherson, at least on the outside, looking in appears to have played a really pivotal role in Melbourne's successful football program. And, and I know, you know, Roos fans might like to mock that he didn't last too long there, but I think the reality is Clarkson wanted his own man with Todd Viney coming in, so we shouldn't really read much into that. And then I think Cam Roberts is a name that, that probably surprised a few. He's been at the club for a couple of years, but I think like Tudor, we need to separate that it was most likely a challenge on the quantity of resources we had rather than quality. Um, but we've also had players like Durham and Massimo and Martin and Hobbs who were able to come in and play good footy. So not all of what we were doing in that space was was bad. I, I think the guys were just stretched and weren't able to get across to enough of our players. Um, he played a few games for the Cats, so he's been in an elite environment. It was back in the, the very late 90s. Uh, he's worked in football operations in the AFL, um, or sorry, for the AFL-MT, I should say. So his experience in running Indigenous programs, I think, will be really important improving that aspect for our club. It was another area that was highlighted in the review where we weren't doing well enough. Um, and he's worked in the the ladder project, which supports underprivileged young people. So he's got a skill set that I think will help him or, or will allow him to contribute to the welfare of our playing group and, and not just their, their football skills. And I think that's as important. And I don't think we've got that right um, for, um, yeah, for a long time. But yeah, um, Jasper, any thoughts you're in, mate? Any names there that stand out to you? Yeah, no, it's a good summation. And the one that does stand out to me is probably Ben Jacobs coming across from North Melbourne. Obviously, Brad Scott's a big fan, and, and I know he was a, uh, a favourite of his while he was coaching at North. He got the best out of himself, as you mentioned. But what's interesting to me is it's something that the AFL doesn't really do that often, like other codes, um, for example, maybe the EPL, is, is bringing in a, the coach's kind of people around him. Um, Brad Scott's coming into a, a team that includes some experienced heads like Daniel Jam, Syracuse, and Blake Carousella. So it'll be interesting to see how they mix. Whereas you look at um, in the in the Prem a couple of weeks ago, Stephen Jarrod got sacked, and along along with his support staff, all of them are gone. And in comes Unai Emery with all of his guys in there, his people, because they know the way they play, and that's the the system that you want to instill. So Brad Scott's coming across with a couple guys that he's wanted, but not that many which um, I think is going to be interesting to see how they all gel in the first uh, preseason altogether. Yeah, I'll just just on that, we know that um, Brad Scott and Carousella played Brisbane at the same time. I think Brad Scott missed the premiership that Carousella played with at Brisbane, so they've got a connection there as well prior to prior to that. And um, so yeah, so as you said, interesting. I think Carousella and, and June Syracuse are both were contracted, and you know when you've already paid out Rutten. Uh, you probably don't want to be paying out too many more contracts and you give it a year and see how that plays out. But again, obviously, as Jono says, they're resourcing the football department. And as we've spoken about previously on this show, it's one of the things that is separating us from the really good sides is, is the lack of a, a strong football department. But obviously, the some more big news in the last week or so um, in the return of Waller, uh, Draper signing and uh, Dean Rioli joining the board. So particularly that last one was a recommendation of the review to get more Indigenous representation at a higher level to, to help improve the Indigenous culture at the club, which I think we can all agree is not what it was, uh, even say, um, 
back in the uh, early 2010s with with the crew of players that we had there. Uh, obviously, Jasper with Waller being your second favorite player of all time, you're pretty happy about that news. Um, how do you how do you feel about that just in, in general? And what does it what does it mean for the draft? What does it do for the draft? And I guess Draper resigning. Um, you know, it's probably a bit of cap management getting getting him in early and using using the space that they have. Any thoughts on on those appointments? Yeah, well, last week was fantastic for the Dons. It was one of the best weeks we've had all year. Um, it's a bit it's a bit of a shame that it came two months after uh, the end of the season, but uh, it's it's been good to to see the direction of the club heading, especially with that Indigenous um, talent coming back in with Waller and then having Dean Rioli on the board, the first Indigenous board member for the club is fantastic for in particular for Waller. I think we really missed his natural goal now. And we desperately needed it last year. Matt Guelphie did fantastically, but um, unfortunately he's not a natural small forward and he applied the pressure. He he missed a few opportunities that Waller obviously would have taken, but um, he did a, he did a really serviceable role. Getting Waller back in now means that we have a couple of options at small forward, which is one of the most important positions in the game right now. I think, AFL drafts often go through phases where a certain type of player is in vogue. This year, I think small forwards will be all the rage towards the end of the first round, possibly slightly earlier than that, um, and you know just earlier in general than where we've seen them taken in previous drafts. So you're going to see guys like Darcy Jones and Jacob Constanti and Charlie Clark, Braden George, and obviously Alwyn Davy Jr. all taken, you know, late first, early second round, and that's a, a plethora of small guys who. You know, they're the first layer of pressure. They, you know, get forward half turnovers, skill execution under pressure. They're smarts in their goal now. So they're all extremely valuable commodities in the modern game. And Waller, as we know, does all of that superbly when fit. So he comes straight into our best 22 if he is match fit. Um, because, you know, at his best, which was, uh, you know, absolutely scintillating in the first half of 2021, I thought he was going to be the All-Australian um, small forward. And, you know, obviously he... he curtailed a little bit unfortunately but um he his best is exactly what we've needed yeah spot on and i think a, a game style across the competition that's lending itself to to being a bit more open and a bit more free-flowing if you don't have that forward half pressure to keep the ball in and, and to create i mean waller's not a high tackle getter but he uh, you know for every one tackle he gets he probably creates panic in in opposition defenders another four or five times so i think that role um yeah i i think you're right i think the list managers and coaches are putting even more value on that than ever before and um you know it was a big part of the way geelong played and i think more than anything ultimately i'm not sure i would have been able to handle see waller play for another club if he had a sign for freo i guess i would have been happy that it's a sign that he was in a good place mentally and I think that's the great thing about him coming back. It's a sign that that you know he feels he can contribute again at AFL level, and he's in a good space. But um, yeah, I think it would have been tough to see him in another team's colour. So it's great he's back. And yeah, the one that I like about the Draper re-signing Humi back to to your point is that we've got all this cap space supposedly in for next year. We we weren't able to fill that. I'm sure Wiedemann and Settlefield aren't coming on big dollars. So. Um, it means we, I assume, we're able to renegotiate his deal for 2023 because he was already under contract, which means I expect we've front-ended that, filled up some cap space, and that means we maintain cap space in you know 24 or 25 and beyond when we're we're likely to be in a position to hit trade and free agency. So I think that's a, a really bit of uh, a really good bit of list management by um, the, probably the most polarizing figure <laughs> in Essendon, Nadine Um and then. 
and then yeah, Dean Real. I think most people who have listened to to us will know the affinity I have for Dean. Um, I think he's an incredible person, and and yeah, I think what people may not know is that he spent most of his post football career coaching grassroots football, both men's and women's teams, right up until this season he uh, he was coaching. So he's he's been involved in football at, at various levels for for a long, long time, and and you know he's ran his own business. He's involved, been involved in not for profit. So uh, you know he. He provides a, a skill set that I think, in terms of us getting back to our community and and connecting with all of our fan base, I think Dean um, is someone who's going to have a a, a a real ability to to do that. And we also know Rioli's win premierships, so having a Rioli at your club's um, probably going to be pretty handy as well. Absolutely. All right. Well, look, let's quickly talk about the trade period and and who came in and and who went out. So we'll, we'll go. We'll keep this pretty short because I think people want to. Be here for, here for the main event, uh, talking about the draft. But let's just start with Setterfield. So Setterfield uh, came in. I think personally, I think addresses a need. I spoke about this in a Twitter space I did uh, immediately after the draft period, where I'm, I'm really bullish on Setterfield. I didn't put him when I did my best 22 uh, with the tier maker. I didn't put him in there, but I think there's a, a spot for him. I'll, I'll throw to you first, Jasper. What are your thoughts on uh, Setterfield to Essendon? Look, he feels a need, and we've obviously missed that bigger body. I know Jake Stringer um, filled it partly um, two years ago. Last year, I'm talking about 2022, we, we really missed it, and we struggled to um, compete in, in contest. Uh, it's obviously such a vital um, part of the, the modern game that if you don't have a bigger player in there that can apply pressure, win their own footy, extract it and feed outside runners then you're you're behind the eight ball straight away coming into games and and will Setterfield in the vfl to his credit i thought um he, he's just about the best vfl player um in in the competition towards the end of the year and he he put his team on his back in, in a couple of finals as well i, I thought he's uh, his finish of the season was sensationally he went back and he, he really toiled away as an inside midfielder and that's going to be his best position for us um i'm not sure he cracks the best 22 to start as you um, alluded to, Humi, but I think the the depth and the you know just having a good VFL side is going to be really important for us. And whoever drops out of the the best twenty two is going to have you know it's going to be really tough to to find places in that in that midfield. And that's only good for for our depth and, and for the future. Yeah, I agree. And there's a bit of talk, isn't there, that that you know he couldn't get a game at Carlton, so why would we want him? Uh, he still played 55 of 83 games in his time at Carlton, so you know he was getting a game. He, he was in and out a bit this year, and obviously they brought Chera in, and, and Kennedy was up and about. But he did play the last five games in their senior side when they were trying to hold down a final spot, which ultimately they couldn't do, which was a, a shame. Um, but and in those five games, he averaged 21 and a half disposal. So you know he was getting the footy and having a bit of an impact. But they they used him on the outside for the, for the most part. Uh, it wasn't until the last two games where he actually went in and attended a centre bounce and and they used him as an inside mid. He had five clearance five clearances in each of those games. They were, they were his better clearance games and and they were against Melbourne and Collingwood. So they're, they're up against good opponents with good midfields. Uh, he's 24. He's got that size as as you guys mentioned. Uh, so I think he's still got upside and, and I'm looking forward to seeing how he does help balance that midfield and, and like you mentioned, Jasper, create some space for our runners and, and see what Shield and Merritt can do. You know, if Merritt's getting the ball on the outside more than, than he has been, I think he becomes an even more dangerous player and, and I think Setterfield may be able to help him do that. Yeah, he could be one of those real um, low-risk, high-reward players. We obviously didn't give up much for him and the potential to be quite an effective player 
is there. And I think it also applies to the other player that we brought in, in, in Sam Wiedemann. Jono, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, the term Moneyball gets thrown around a lot in footy, doesn't it? And um, Setterfield for me is the, you know, if you think the premise of Moneyball and what that actually is, he's a player who's who's good at one thing really and that is clearances and around the contest and that's something that we lack in. So he's kind of plug and play, low investment. Um yeah, Wiedemann, 62 goals in 59 games, but he was goalless in 23 of those. So um, he's, he does struggle for consistency. You'll see him every four or five weeks pop up with three or four, but then equally have three or four weeks where he really struggles for an impact. So he needs to fix that. Uh, he referenced in his, his interview after he signed um, uh, what Peter Wright had been able to do and how he's looking to emulate that. I think that shows some good self-awareness that, that he, he realises that he, he's got a gap there. Structurally, he makes sense. He's got a good set of hands and, and when in form and his confidence is up, he can hit the scoreboard multiple times a game. And it sounds like he's coming in to play a second ruck role in all likelihood, which means that, that Wright gets to stay forward. And, and with Wright and Jones, I, I'm, I'm assuming, based on your interview and with uh, with Ricky, based on Brad Scott and the way he likes to coach, that, that we're likely to go with three key forwards next year. So. Yeah, I think uh, again, it's a it's a plug and play. Um, albeit he's got to um, he's got to improve some areas of his game. Yeah, I'd like to see him um, come in and, and be a really good backup ruckman as well as a, a key forward that he's shown he can do. But um, in the ruck is, is where he's going to be really beneficial for us in the in the twenty to thirty percent that Sam Draper spends on the bench or maybe up forward. Um, Wiedemann can can plug that and and help Peter Wright um, just be a, a key forward that stays within the top five in the Coleman medals he did this year um, and really add uh, to his goal-kicking tally because that's where he's most beneficial. And if Wiedemann can add a goal a game as, as well as chopping out in the ruck and holding his own in there, um, then I think it's it's going to be really beneficial for us. And I think he would be in my uh, best 22 to start in, in round one simply because we haven't seen enough of Nick Bryan yet. Um, Andrew Phillips is getting on and, I, and we probably want to see someone else in that role right now. Um, and then Harrison Jones would probably be my other tall um, as more of a up the wings and, and leading back to, to goal kind of player. Yeah, I think the other thing it does is when Wright's struggling for an impact, it allows him to get up the ground, uh, not necessarily as a ruckman, but plays a high forward, but allows us to keep someone deep and keep our, I guess, keep our structure and keep that anchor deep, whether that's Wiedemann or Jones, it, it gives us the flexibility to do that. So, yeah, I like it. Yeah, well, that's, again, one another one to see how it plays out. And finally, just a quick word on on uh, Francis moving to Sydney. I think you know, I, I started the year. I, I, as I said with Todd, um, when I when I chatted with him, um, I think we both sort of still. I still had hope that uh, he could be a player for us, but it hasn't hasn't worked out. And he's he's gone for a new a new start, which I think well within his right. And, and wish him all the best. Just a quick thought, uh, Jono and Jasper on on Francis. Yeah, I think it's pretty clear he, he wasn't going to play his best footy at Essendon. He probably needed to to get the benefit of a second chance. And, you know, Sydney's a club that's got a great record in getting the best out of players. If you can't make it there, you can't make it anywhere. So, I, you know, I hope we do get to see him play really good footy uh, and they can get the best out of him. Uh, and I think, yeah, we just got to be open-minded to the fact that, yeah, we, we were never really going to be that club for him. Yeah, I think he's a, a natural defender. Um, and Sydney, if they don't get the best out of him, as you said, Jono, um, I don't think anyone will. So it's, it's probably do or die for his career at this point, and Sydney's the best place for it. Yeah, so as hopefully hopefully as well, just not against Essendon. Although, you know, if you play for Sydney against Essendon, you're likely to have your career best games, and 
win win in the last minute of of some weird <laughs> weird crazy scenario. Anyway, enough enough of the bitterness. Um, let's just quickly final list decisions. Uh, Ham Brand Waterman Air not offered contracts, although Air's been given the option as a supplementary player potentially, depending on what happens with the draft. Uh, Menzi was given one year, and Durham promoted to the senior list. Uh, any quick thoughts on any of those? No real surprises. No, nothing really, Tad, man. I wouldn't be surprised if most will be, but I wouldn't be if Ham gets another shot somewhere on a rookie list. I think he's got some attributes that, that lend himself to the way modern footy's played. Um, but, yeah, besides that, mate, uh, yeah, nothing really to add. Yeah, I'm, I'm exactly the same. I think Ham uh, got, was overhated towards the end of his stint with Essendon and um, hopefully he can recapture some form somewhere else because I think he is he's an AFL-caliber player at his best. Right, so let's get into what everyone everyone's coming for. They've waited 25 minutes for actually to start talking about the draft in our draft edition of our show. Thanks for your patience. Uh, let's before we get into looking at the specifics and the permutations. Uh, the current list status for Essendon is 31 players on the main list and six on the rookie list, which is the max uh, that they can do at this. Oh, no, actually, there might be a couple of. I might be misreading that. My apologies. Um, so I think there's five, my, my assumption is there's five spots available um, for the mate on the main list. And we currently have, uh, as of 14th of November, picks 4, 22, 54, 62, 68, and 72. Now, before we get into looking at the what Essen's going to do with those, particularly those first two picks, Jasper, it's been a, over a month since you completed your phantom draft. If you look back at it, how confident are you that things are still in a similar situation? Yeah, it's kind of like jumping off the deep end when you do a phantom draft and you put your money where your mouth is um, for, for the world to kind of give you some feedback on. But overall, um, I think it's aged really well. It's been, what, nearly three weeks since I since I did that one. And as new info comes to light and clubs start to you know leak a bit more on their targets, I think it's actually um, looking fairly healthy. Uh, obviously, there's always going to be some bolters and, and some sliders throughout the process. That's, what, that's kind of the beauty of the AFL draft. But um, in the end, it won't look the same um, when I do my, my final phantom a couple of days before the draft, but I think it's still a really good indication of what we can expect come draft right now. Yeah, I, I don't envy you putting that to, together, mm-hmm. mate. It, it must be an incredible job with so much information, so many uh, views and, and throughputs um, to, to take into account. Uh, it's assumed that the Giants have traded up to pick one to take Cadman, given he's the best key forward in the draft. They've also traded out, I guess not of their choosing, but but they have traded out Taranto, Bruin and Hopper, uh, three sort of strong midfielders. Um, I've not heard anything directly from the Giants quoted on, on their plans to take um, Cadman, and not that I would expect them to come out and announce it, but do you think it is a, a, an absolute lock that they'll go with Cadman uh, or are people putting two and two together because he's the most unique option, i.e. the only key forward out of the top five and, and the rest are likely to be midfielders or... Could they have been wanting to, to trade up so they can, can secure Wardlaw, which I guess is is probably the player that, that seems to be the most similar to those that they've got rid of and, and potentially North had their, their sights set on him with an early pick and they wanted to get ahead of him? Yeah, no, that's a good point with Wardlaw seeing Hopper and Taranto leave. He is a similar in and under type. But with, with Cadman, I think usually when there's a cross-section of the media, uh, print media, draft central even, um, and a couple, you know, talking to him and, and talking um, to, to people in the industry, I think there's a bit of a consensus that 
everyone knows why they traded up and and that's kind of almost a foregone conclusion it's just going to be whether it uh, whether they bid on Ashcroft or not, which has no bearing on us. Uh, I, I think the Giants are going to have the depth to cover for Hopper and Taranto. You're going to see Tom Green explode this year, in my opinion. I think Finn Callahan is a guy who's flown under the radar last season. He was taken really early on last year. They, was t- they took him ahead of Nick Dacos. Um, make of that what you will. But uh, I think he's going to be a, a guy that spends a lot of time in the midfield next year. And then Lockie Ash as well, who, who was taken with pick four. Kind of a halfback flanker, but they played a lot in the midfield. He tagged a bit. I think he's going to be a midfielder um, in the future. So Cadman is that Jeremy Cameron replacement, in my opinion, uh, which means the Giants can keep Himmelberg down back where he exploded and, and had you know played out of his skin in career best form um, to finish off last year. And they'll finally get their partner for Jesse Hogan, who's still only young. I think he's only 27 years old. So I think they've got another four years of Jesse Hogan left and Aaron Cadman can, can partner him. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I have to admit, Tom Green's a player that I, I really, really like too. I'd, geez, I'd love him. I'd love both the Greens <laughs> at the Bombers. Um, and a follow-up question, I guess, just on that by a uh, uh, friend of the show and friend of yours, Todd Davey. If you were Adrian Dodoro and, and you had pick one in this draft uh, who's and you were recruiting for Essendon, whose name would you be rating out first? Yeah, cheers, Toddy. It's a, it's a tough one to to answer because there's always going to be opinions on if you should be taking best available versus need. I sit if you're taking with pick one, I sit in the best available camp. But at the same time, you've you've got to assess your list and and take stock of of what you truly do need um, in a draft. And if it's it's tough splitting these two, and you know, so you're splitting hairs, I think you've got to take the the need versus um, what what might be on the board. So in this case, uh, for Essendon, I'd be selecting Will Ashcroft as the best talent. Obviously, he would be matched straight away. Um, but for for me. The, the fit is that he adds two-way running, which we desperately need in the midfield, and, and it's some dynamism. Uh, I would probably prefer George Wardwell to, to Sheasel and Cadman, in my opinion. He really reminds me of Luke Parker, Luke Parker sorry, with his kind of grit, power, um, his leadership, just his strength across um, all three areas of the ground, but, but his ball-winning capabilities in particular. I think when, when you bring in Waller, you're going to have the Davy twins. Uh, that really fills our small forward needs. I don't think Harry Sheasel is necessarily a need there. And I'm more bullish than most on, on some of the key forwards and, and tools we've got developing in Harry Jones and Nick Bryan and, and Cade Baldwin as well, one of my favourites. So I think um, I'd be going with George Wardlaw for his upside, um, his ability right now to, to help and also uh, just, you know, just being the best available in my opinion. I will say that he is 182 centimetres and I think all Don supporters uh, will know that we've drafted a plethora of uh, small midfielders, but rest assured, George Wardlaw plays above his size and he's a, he's a big-bodied mid. Yeah, well, look, I think we just, we just need good players and if, if he's the best player available, you, you kind of want that. You know, at, 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 I tend to find the first round or early first round, you should be going best available unless there's a real, you know, clear need there. Um, and just for those who be listening live, if you do have a question you want to ask, just put your hand up and we'll bring you into the into the chat. We are going to go through a few questions that were submitted uh, pre-show. Um, but if you we go through this and there's something you want to ask that hasn't been covered, just put your hand up and we'll get you on. So as, as you sort of said, let's assume Cadman's picked by new uh, GWS. And then Norse obviously got the next two picks. And given Sheasel's probably the most different player there and, you know, he's he's someone that, clearly is, an, is a need and it's on a similar level to the other players available. You would imagine that one of those is going to be used 
at Sheasel. Who do you think North's second pick is going to be? Most people suggesting it will be Wardlaw. Do you think it's that way or are there likely to be other players in the mix? Will North take into account the fact that they've probably got, a, even with uh, Jason Horn francis going, they've probably got a, a decent uh, inside mid uh, brigade and they may want to look at that outside class? Yeah, I mean, they do have a strong inside midfield brigade. I think LDU is one who shines more on the outside. He does win his own ball and his centre clearances to, to finish off last year were you know some of the best in the competition. I think Jai Simpkins is a fantastic inside midfielder and, and Will Phillips is one that they're pretty uh, interested in. Um, I think that the George Wardlaw will just appeal to them as, as the best available. And um, the only knock on Wardlaw is his hamstrings right now. We didn't see the best of him this year because he just couldn't get on the park. The same was said of Joel Selwood in his draft year with soft tissue injuries. Um, and then even... Uh, Hep kind of slid due to injury as well. So if I think he's going to be the best available for them on their draft board, and I think he's going to be the one that they take. Yeah, nice man. I think uh, so. That sort of I guess there's been four players linked to Western Hose now. There's there's Elijah Satsis, who's probably the name who's most commonly linked, and no doubt I've I've chopped the pronunciation of his surname <laughs> there. Um, and then to challenge myself again, there's there's Philippu. Uh, and then Elijah Hewitt and Bailey Humphrey, the other two. And then I guess if North were to, to pull a surprise, in, in theory, that would leave potentially one of Wardlaw or Sheasel to, to fall through. Can you just tell us a little bit about the six of them? And I guess more in particular, what attributes they might bring to, to Essen and how they might, you know, fill a bit of a need for us. Yeah, well, I, I kind of offer up a, a traits um, kind of best similar to in my power rankings and I'll, it kind of helps I think readers if they if they don't know their game if they've only watched highlights to see what kind of player they actually play like if they um, have really similar elite attributes to, to some AFL players so I'll run through a couple of those I think for Sardis um, he's kind of a humor cluggish type with a bit more pace um, and confidence with ball in hand he's, he's really prolific on the outside he accumulates 35 touches without any issue um, and he really likes the ball in his hands and loves taking the game on so it's something that the Essendon's missed in terms of his engine, his running capacity, but also uh, his pace outside of congestion. He, he gets the ball and he explodes out into space and then more often than not, he hits targets. Uh, that's Elijah Sardis. Mateus Phillip, who's one that I think we're going to talk about more and more leading into the draft because we have been fairly um, spoken about as an option um, to land at pick four. He's the big-bodied mid-forward, 190 centimetres, Don's fans will just love the prototype that he is. Um, some have likened him to the Bond, but I think he's more of a Jake Stringer just with his power and aggression in the forward half. I don't think he'll quite eventuate into a pure midfielder. He's interesting. He's had recruiters split in interviews because he's, he's a very confident kid. He's, he's maintained throughout the whole draft process that he should be the number one pick because he's the best player in the draft. That's confidence in my opinion. I don't think it's arrogance like some others may think. So we'll see uh, as we get near to the, nearer to the draft if, if Dodoro really likes that attitude, likes his potential. He's he's not not a boom or bust, but he's got one of the higher upsides in this draft. And and I think um, it might potentially be Ducks and Drakes by the Dons, but he is very worthy of a high draft pick based on potential. Um, and he could be one that we're looking towards very firmly. Um, and we could be welcoming him in the red and black. We've got going to Elijah Hewitt. Um, I was interested to see that we were linked to him at pick four. I don't think that's going to eventuate at all. I rate him more highly than a lot of others. He reminds me of Chad Warner. 
He's got elite evasiveness and, and a burst of pace, and he picks out his targets in the for, in, at forward of centre and just throughout the year, he, he played Waffle League the, the whole year and mixed it with those bigger bodies. So he could slide with West Coast, potentially targeting, targeting other WA kids. Um, I don't think he'd be available at pick 23, but I think he's a bit too early for pick four, unfortunately. And then Bailey Humphrey is one that I'm really interested in. He's the mid-forward that plays big with his aerial ability. He's got goal-kicking now. He, he returned to, to NAB League halfway through the year after a knee injury, had 35 touches and kicked four goals five. He's um, got leadership in abundance. He oozes class. So I think he's one that we're going to be really looking at. And we haven't spoken about him much or the Dons haven't um, come out with much about him. And I think there's a reason for that. Uh, so Toby Green type player by the sounds of it? Yes. He, well, in the first... If you turn your mind back to 2012, 2013, Toby Green was an elite midfielder coming into the competition. I think Bailey Humphrey has the same sort of skill set in terms of he might be the most damaging half forward in the game, but he could also be a fantastic midfielder. So we'll see how his career eventuates. Um, and the Dons will be looking at him intently because I think we really like his leadership um, as well as his forward ability. Uh, having worked a little bit with uh, with Adrian in the past, I'm I'm pretty confident in saying that he would very much like the confidence that Philippa was displaying. I think that suits Adrian Dodoro to a T. Yeah. Is there uh, before I get on to the, the next question? I guess. Oh, actually, no. I, I, I'll skip that one because I think we do have a question related to that a bit later. So. My bad. Um, so I guess uh, moving on to another one of our audience questions from Michael Morrow on, on Twitter wanted to ask, who do you think is most likely going to be called out with our first pick? Yeah, so with all that said, I still believe it's probably going to be Sardis at this point. If the other four in Ashcroft, Cadman, Cheeseland, and Wardlaw are off the board, as we probably expect um, right now, I think his best this season is incomparable to the rest of the pool. He's, he was a level above at his very best. He came back from injury, his foot injury. Um, towards the end of the campaign and immediately had 35 touches and kicked a goal against Sandringham Dragons, who eventually won the premiership in the NAB League. He's a, a really, really special talent. And I don't think we um, probably realise that at this point because there's been a few knocks on him and other guys have risen. And I don't think Don supporters um, are that in love with Sardis right now. But uh, in my opinion, he adds you know a lot of dynamic traits with his speed and class to a, to a slightly one-paced midfield right now. And um, he would be a, a really worthy addition. I think his ability to come back from that injury and have an impact straight away probably says a lot about his ability to rehab himself and prepare himself. And keep in mind, these are kids that are they're in an elite junior environment, but they're not in an elite football club. They're still doing their VCA studies and, and other things. So, you know, those, those foot injuries, as we know, are, are pretty nasty. So for him to come back and, and, and do that to me says quite a lot about his... His attitude. I guess the knock. There's a little bit of a fear that he's he's been compared to Dylan Shield and his foot skills. Um, what what's your view on that? Are, are they as, as bad as some people have made it out to to say, or or is it just something that that he needs to improve? And and you think he's got the ability to do so? No, he's he's a better kick than Dylan Shield. Um, unfortunately for for Dill, he hasn't quite been able to put it together. But for Elijah, his problem is that he's at, he's zero to a hundred so quickly that. He probably doesn't slow down, just take that extra step and, and really pinpoint his target. He chooses the right option really well, which is probably the first tick, I think, for a, for a guy entering inside 50. Um, he always chooses the right option. He's, he's not afraid to back himself and go for goals as well. Um, but the most important thing is just he's so quick that he has the time to balance himself, take an extra step, 
and then really measure out the pass. And and he has done that in the past. He's he's really classy with his hands, and I think that will translate to his feet. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I guess, and just before we move off pick four for the moment, um, you've talked about what you think is likely to happen. But, you know, best best case scenario, what are you hoping might happen as an Essendon fan is available to our pick? Yeah, I think Wardlaw is the ideal one to drop to us. He might not seem like it on face value, 182 centimetre midfielder, but he's just a competitive beast that was better than the Pies VFL side in the All-Australian um, boys game to start the year he won the best on ground medal in that one he's, a, he's just a huge talent if we saw him for the full year we only saw him for four or five games at the start of the year and then he missed the entire championships i think if we saw him for the full year we wouldn't even be dreaming that he'd be available at our pick at pick four which will turn into pick five i think he would have gone in probably pick one or two um and if jos was trading up after a full season of george wardlaw they'd probably be selecting him so he's the ideal one to follow us i'm not worried about his hamstrings um, unlike a few others, but uh, I think yeah, he's a he's a sensational prospect. Yeah, no, and a Don's fan as well, which you know I don't, don't know what's helps. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's got to help a little bit, right? Um, our, our second pick, as it stands, is twenty two. That'll at least get to twenty three and, and maybe twenty four, depending on where the bid for Jasper Fletcher lands to the Lions. Um, I guess for this exercise, let's assume that a bid for for Alan Davy. Junior hasn't come yet, and we'll, we'll get to that shortly. But Matt Brown's asked, what are the needs that we should focus on if it falls that way? Or like you said, with our first pick, are you just going to go best available? And, and who are some of the players that might be in the mix here? Yeah, so at pick 23, which will blow out you know, only by a couple spots, I think, at that point, um, if we are able to use it, I'm, I'm in love with Isaac Keeler. I have him a lot higher than a lot of others around the country. Um, on draft boards, I have him at 13 currently, um, and he's he's a play. He's from the Adelaide NGA. They haven't actually nominated him. They can only select him outside of the top 40 picks, but they can't even do that now because they decided not to nominate him. Uh, there were a bit of conjecture about why that happened, but in my opinion, it was simply just to clear his mind. He's going to be selected within the top 40 picks, so he's not thinking about you know if I make it past these 20 selections, I can be picked up by Adelaide. He's more looking forward to you know being selected by wherever he goes to and. Um, I think he, he'd be an ideal candidate if he did drop down to, to 23. Um, I think there are going to be a lot of suitors around that, Mark, maybe Sydney, maybe Collingwood as well. Um, so we'll see how that eventuates. But Isaac Keel is a guy who plays a little bit like Paddy Ryder. Um, he's got really soft hands in the ruck. He does his best work, probably forward of centre, where he, he kicks a you know, 60-metre drop punt. He just has a fluid action. He's a really natural footballer, an amazing leap on him. 198 centimetre Ruckman forward, who I think would pair with uh, Sam Draper really well for the next decade. Um, another one that I'm interested in, I don't think we're going to select him, but Braden George is a guy who's now done his second uh, long-term injury in an ACL, suffered halfway through the season, just coming back. So he's <laughs> he's struggled with injury, but at his best, he's a top 10 kind of player. He's a small forward um, who's really mercurial with his talent. He's, he's, a, he's a leaper. He takes mark of the year. He will kick goal of the year, do all that kind of stuff. And he's, he's a really consistent performer as well. You don't see that too often with small forwards, but when he plays, he plays well. Absolutely, yeah. So obviously we'll, we'll see how things play out and whether, whether that's live. But I guess before we, we start talking about Alwyn, uh, for those people who are listening who don't really understand the bidding system and, and what's, what's going on, I think you probably have, people have probably heard that picks are worth points and, and how that plays out. What, 
are you able to provide a simple explanation for the bidding uh, system or is that beyond even your yeah. amazing talents? <laughs> no, it's, um, it is overly complex, isn't it, Amy? And um, unfortunately, you know, I'll, I'll do my best, but you know, some of the, some of the um, little details even beyond me. Uh, firstly, pick one is worth 3,000 points and they, it basically goes down from there for, in terms of a point allocation to the draft picks all the way down to pick 84 would be worth something like 30 points. So if you take all of those picks, you can add them up to where a bid is placed. If a bid is placed at pick one, um, the the Brisbane Lions will have to match that with 3,000 points um, and they've currently accumulated basically enough to, to match that. Um, um, sorry, in, sorry, Jasper. Am I, am I right that if it's a father-son, you get a discount or is, yeah, is that... Sorry. It, it's about 20 25%. I can't remember the exact number, but it's 20 to 25% for father-sons you get a discount on. Um, but basically, they just have to match the the bid with the draft picks that equate to to that allocation of, of points. Um, it's it's an overly complex system that no other um, draft in in the world really does. I'm not too sure why they've done it, but that's that's kind of what it is. And it's the exact same for NGAs as well. For the Northern Academies, you can match a bid anywhere, um, even in the top forty. Unlike our academies, um, so that's what's going to uh, happen on draft night with guys like Jasper Fletcher. Um, and Alwyn Davy Jr. Yeah, um, uh, probably probably don't really need to know too much about it in terms of. Cal- I think with the the draft picks they traded in with with Wiedemann and and Setterfield, they've probably got enough points for where an Alwyn Davy bid will come. So let's talk let's talk about him. And before we, you know, we're so concerned about where he's going to go. A lot of times, you don't actually talk about what kind of player <laughs> is he. So I guess if you just give us a bit of a hint about what kind of player we can expect with with Alwyn Davy and. Uh, what's your current expectations for where he'll be bid on? Yeah, he, he's not like his dad, Froggy. He's, he's not a small forward. He, he has a goal now, but um, he's more of a natural midfielder who kind of cruises through packs. He, he looks like he's kind of floating. He, he runs so well and um, he hits a, a gear that not many others can get to. I likened him a little bit to, to Connor Rosie. I don't think he's going to have quite the upside that we're seeing from Rosie right now. Um, but he's, he just floats through packs and he seems to have a lot of time and space and he loves wheeling, wheeling along onto his um, dominant foot, his right foot. So I, I think we're going to be seeing a lot of him kind of cruising around high half forward to, to start his career in his first few years before potentially moving on ball. Um, his, his brother, Jaden's a different kettle of fish. He's a lot like his dad. Um, he's more of a, a crafty small forward that can you know, kick bags of five. Um, so they're both different players, which I think is a, is a really good thing and um, looking forward to welcoming them both. In terms of an expectation for a bid, we've got pick 23. Um, I think the over-under on it probably is about 22 and a half. I've got no idea if a bid will come before or after it. The, the two positives, I think, um, that Essendon will be leaning on and hoping he does make it past pick 23 is firstly... He's already committed to Essendon. He wants to be an Essendon player. Um, he, he loves the connection with the club from all interviews. Um, and I think that's going to ward off clubs a suitable amount um, to start. And then secondly, there are a lot of small forwards in that range. I, I mentioned a few before, Charlie Clark and Jacob Constanti and Darcy Jones. All these types of players are, are really, really good small forwards who offer a similar thing um, to what Alvin Davy does. I know he's more of a midfielder, but to start his career, he will be a forward. Um, and I think... That in it, in of itself will mean I'm probably more leaning towards him um, being bid on after pick 23 or after the Don's second selection. It's interesting. It's a bit interesting, really, in in my view, that, that teams don't you know try and make 
try and make the other teams pay the, a premium price for um, players. So obviously going to take, I think the, 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 op, the case I'm thinking of last year was obviously uh, North not bidding on Dacos when it was clear that Collingwood would have taken him wherever, wherever he went. Is that just something where the clubs are trying not to, you know, build bad relationships or you know, is it something that maybe clubs should do to try and get as much of an advantage over their competition as they can? I think there's definitely a relationship aspect to it, especially with the Jelly West decision not to bid on Nick Dacos. Um, I believe the North Melbourne. Uh, yeah, sorry. Uh, no, sorry. yeah, Jelly West. Um, after North Melbourne, they decided to take Ben Callahan. Um, oh, sorry, yeah, Nick, Nick Dacos. Um, the the argument between Jason Horn Francis and Nick Dacos was very close, and I, I don't um, I don't think that North Melbourne really considered. Um, if they wanted to form a, a good relationship with Collingwood going forward, I think they just bid on the player that they wanted and they took Jason Horn Francis. Now, coming into this draft, I think it's going to be much more interesting because they're in interesting spots. Jasper Fletcher will be around the mark of Alan Davey, um, as well as Max McLaney, who's um, tied to Adelaide because his dad played for Norwood. Um, so those three will be really interesting to watch where they get bid on. Uh, a team like the Western Bulldogs, to your point, could look to bid on them just before you know Essendon's pick for for or pick twenty three, simply because one Alan Davies a standout prospect at that at that range, and also they've got two other selections coming up, and you bite into the Essendon draft picks afterwards. So if we're if we've got picks in the fifties um, that will get eaten up by that bid, we have to match it with. That means that the dogs pick at fifty six will become forty eight or something similar. If there are a few father-sons selected. So uh, it does help in future picks if you do bid on them earlier. Um, but other than that, I just think you want to you wanna be taking the player that you think is best available at that point. Um, and that's probably why we don't see them bid on too early. So finally, before we, we move on to our other uh, potential selections, uh, this one's from Silvertop Hurley. Do you think Essendon's got a, a live trade uh, pre-planned out for pick 22 if David gets bid on before? And if so, what do you think it would look like? Yep, I think there'll be multiple contingencies in in place. I think that's probably the the number one priority for Dodoro's team over the next couple of weeks before the draft is to to arrange those. And I think the the absolute best case scenario would be to get a future first pick from a really good team. Some aggressive teams, I think you look at um, Sydney and Melbourne. They're they're really aggressive in in their pursuit of um, talent in this year's draft compared to um, future drafts. Melbourne often trades out their future first rounder for a, for a current first rounder um, and I think a team like that if they see someone they love at pick 23 will definitely consider biting the bullet I think the more likely scenario is receiving a, a draft pick probably early second round from a club like the Gold Coast who have a lot of good academy talent coming in next year um, so they just want to bank late draft picks um, and instead of you know taking a player in the second round and eating into their draft bid they just they just prefer to have um, future thirds and fourths to, to match players with. Yeah, that's interesting. We got a couple of late picks, didn't we, as part of the trades that we – sorry, future picks um, as part of the trades that we brought in. So I wonder whether that, that might be part of our thinking too. So, yeah, it, it's I think it's the one that we're all holding our breath about um, leading into to, um, draft night, isn't it? But there's other players – Linked to us that you know, besides um, Alan, there's his twin brother Jaden, who of course has had a couple of knee recos, and also Anthony Munkara, uh, who's part of our NGA academy. Can you tell us a little bit about those boys and, and what type of players they are? 
Yeah, Jaden's really similar to his dad, Owen Davey, and I think that'll excite um, Essendon fans a lot. He's he's going to take a while. Uh, I'm not sure if we'll pick him up in the main draft. He may be a rookie spot or he may potentially be an SSP consideration um, along, you know, as as was Tex last year. But he just adds to the key, um, to the small forward stocks, I should say. And um, he's got a, a bucket load of talent. He, he's on par with Alan Davey in terms of his talent. Um, and he, he just plays a different game. And, and that small forward, as I've mentioned a few times now, is going to be so beneficial going forward to have that depth um, and to have Waller come in, teach, text, teach um, Alwyn and, and Jaden um, is going to be invaluable. And I think Jaden's going to be a really good player. I think we will have him on our list at um, at some point. It may not be in the main draft, but it will be at some point over the next couple of months. Yeah, okay. And, so that's sort of, oh. Uh, well, oh, sorry, you go. And, and Anthony Makara? Yeah, yeah. And then, and then Makara is a really interesting one. I wrote about him kind of halfway through the year about potential for him to slide out of the top 40. So he's an NGA um, prospect for Essendon. Uh, we can't match a bid inside the top 40 selections on draft night. I think to start the year, I had him probably in my top 20, um, but he, he left home. Uh, sorry, he left South Australia to go home for family reasons halfway through the year. And clubs haven't had a great deal of opportunity to look at him. He's, he's originally a Northern Territory boy from the Tiwi Islands. And I think um, we'll eventually see him kind of drop down the, the draft order in a couple of weeks' time. I'm not sure if he'll make it to pick 41. Um, I can't I can't say yes or no yet, but I'd be leaning yes at this point. I don't think clubs have seen enough of him to commit a, a second-round pick to him. Um, and he's also stated his love of Essendon and want to join the club, which is always beneficial to, to ward other clubs off. Yeah, no, so it sounds like in... <laughs> I guess the hope or, or likelihood is that in Jaden's case, we'll, you know, he'll, the draft night will come and go and we might pick him up as a rookie. Am I right in saying we can pre list him as a rookie, can't we, if we decide to go down that path? Yeah, so um, if, if he makes it through the, the national draft, we can pre list him as a rookie. Yeah, nice. So, so let's say um, Jaden does get through and, and Mankara does as well or, or we we don't chew up too many picks um in in that is there anyone late in the draft that that you might have your eye on that might be in, uh might be of interest to us there are a couple south australian kids that i think have flown under the radar after a pretty disappointing national championships i think firstly jacob ryan's a, a rebounding defender that i really like um he he copped a barrage of forward 50 entries against metro and country uh, for South Australia, and he stood up remarkably well. He's about 189 centimetres, a bit similar to Mason Redmond in the way he goes about it, a booming kick, um, long flowing hair, and he, he takes the game on out of defence. So I like what he has to offer. Um, he'd probably be a third-round consideration at this point, early third. And then also Adam DeLoyer, who um, has been on the radar of recruiters for a long time. He, he burst onto the scene in almost under-16s, I want to say, before COVID hit, um, and he's just a dominant contested player. He's almost the best contested player in this draft, I'd, I'd argue. Um, and the, the knock on him is that he just doesn't have the leg pace. Um, he hasn't been able to round out his game very well. He's a, he's a pretty one-dimensional player. But, you know, so were guys like Tom Rockliffe coming out of um, the, the NAB League. You know, you, you see players like that and they, once in a professional environment, they really round out their game. They, they get the endurance up to scratch. They, they apply their trade in the VFL and they become really good players. So I think Adam Deloyer, with his size, he's about 188 centimetres, a really big body in the midfield. I think he could possibly add something late in the draft as well. Good to good to know. And I guess keep an eye out. Obviously, a lot to play out with uh, Jaden and Anthony Mankara. 
Um, and then, you know, any potential late picks, we'll see what happens. Now, I've had a number of questions through already from listeners. As I said before, if you do have a particular question you want to ask live, just put in the request now. And once we get through these ones, we'll, we'll get to you. Uh, but question from Anthony, uh, of the available players that we've talked about for Essendon's pick four, who do you think is most likely to be ready to go for round one if they were selected? Yeah, we'll see how pre-seasons go. Obviously, some people rise up. Some people don't. Of the whole group, of the whole pool, open pool, um, of and Will Ashcroft is will be will be playing round one like Nick Dacos and um, guys like Andy Brasher and Sam Walsh before him. He's completely in that mould. But for pick four, I think the most likely um, would probably be Harry Sheasel because he's got that Josh Rochelle quality about him in terms of his natural ability. Um, just outweighs anything else that you know he kind of needs to do on a footy field, and I think he'd be a plus for for the best twenty two straight away. I think George Wardlaw, if he can get over his hamstring concerns quickly in the preseason and put together a good block of training, um, he'd be very hard to leave out, as was Ben Hobbs um, to start last season. He, he spent some time in the VFL, but he was in the side pretty quickly and uh, he played an important role on Anzac Day um, and, and that, kind of, that early in the season. I think uh, another guy who we haven't spoken about at all, um, Ruben Ginby from WA is a kind of 190 centimetre contested midfielder who's spent a lot of time in the Waffle League to end the season um, as a defender uh, and I think he could play multiple areas on the ground and he's uh, about as competitive as it gets in this draft and I think he'd be a guy that we're probably looking at. Um, he might not be the, the selection but uh, he'd be ready to go round one. Yeah, and I guess thinking about pick four and, and this is sort of what I was alluding to before before I got tongue-tied and, and left it to the end. Uh, another question from your friend and mine, Todd Davey. If you were to trade pick four out, what kind of haul would you want back um, just solely from this, this draft, not thinking about future picks? Yeah, I think there's probably a drop-off after pick 12. I think the first dozen um, options on the draft board are you know, really high quality. And then I think the draft thins out a fair bit and it's quite even. So I think on draft night, we could be seeing a number of live trades. I don't expect our pick four to be one. I heard Josh Marnie um, during the, the trade period, he, he did allude to the fact that pick four could potentially be on the table for the right deal. I don't think that'll eventuate, but if it were to happen, I think two picks within within the top 12 to 14 would be the only real offer that you could consider um, if we're not talking about future picks as well. I think uh, you look at maybe a package, I don't think any club really has it except for West Coast who traded down, obviously, so they're not going to be trading, but a package like eight and 12 would be something that you would heavily consider. Dan Bomber came in with a similar question. I, I guess, do you look to then kind of do something with four and 22 to try and get a couple of picks in before the a likely bid for Davey and, and therefore, um, uh, you know, expect that a match then becomes after what our, or a bid would then come before what our third pick would be. So, you know, Philip, who's the player we want? Do we look to, to maybe package up four and 22 to get, you know, I don't know what clubs are on the board, but maybe get a, a pick around nine and you know fifteen or something in return. Yeah, well, four and twenty-two could be a consideration to move up for one of North's picks as well. I doubt they'd do it, but if we really liked George Wardlaw or Harry Sheasel, then that could be an option as well. Um, I know they just traded into this draft with their future second, um, taking Adelaide's early second rounder, but um, that could potentially be an option too. But more to to Dan's point. Uh, I think there's probably not a package out there that, that we'd entertain in, in that regard. Um, you look at maybe like a 9 and 15, which you could consider and 
15 would come before the Davy bid, but I think you'd rather take your take your bets on 23 being available and, and Davy making it past that because I think it's um, a decent chance to, to happen and you'd probably get a better player at 23 and 4 than you would a package at 9 and 15 um, when you consider you're adding in Davy as well as those two players. So I think overall we're going to be holding on to pick four. The one consideration that we could have is is Philippou, who we seem to rate higher than other clubs. And if we traded down to a pick nine, he may be available and we were going to take him a pick four anyway, which you know would make a lot of sense if Todoro was set on on Philippou, who, um, like I said, has the upside to be to warrant a, a top four pick. Yeah, I guess then if you, you run the risk of him still being taken before nine, don't you? So there's a lot to, to weigh up in, in that case. Yeah, it's... It, it's uh, I, this is where list managers and recruiting managers really earn their buckets. Um, it's it's a big you know draft draft night's got more and more complicated as the years have have gone on with uh, with bidding and future picks involved. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Uh, Humi, I know you've got some some final thoughts to throw at Jasper. Oh, uh, just be, just before that, just a question that sort of come to me. I'm I'm sure when you when you're doing this sort of work and and looking at future players, you're not just focusing on the year ahead. You're looking you know a two years three years ahead and considering what you, you know about next year's crop, I know the talk about Harley Reid is pretty exciting and it's, it seems like a few teams are tanking already to, to get access, <laughs> to get access to him. Not, you know, not pointing fingers at anyone in brown and yellow stripes, but um, outside of, outside of that, obviously is, is next year's draft the sort of one where teams will be comfortable trading out of in terms of us looking to get future picks or the team's probably more likely to want to hold on to those picks at this stage. No, you don't need to go into too much detail about specific players, but just a general no. idea. I, I don't, I don't see a club on the board, unfortunately, looking to trade out of the first round last year. Um, next year, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, next year. Sorry. Like, like you know, you look at a Melbourne and you go, you know, they're going to finish in the top four to six, but even then, there's the the possibility that you just have a disaster year and you have a top six pick. And that's going to be so valuable next year where guys like Nick Watson and Ashton Moyer and a couple of the, the Gold Coast Suns Academy kids who are unbelievable talents, they're all, you know, would arguably in top, you know, three contention this year alone. I think Harley Reid this year um, would rival Will Ashcroft for the first pick. And he's, a you know, obviously a year below. Um, and, you know, he, he, he's, his best comparison that I have for him is probably Dustin Martin, which... I think um, speaks speaks in itself. So the the quality in the first round next year is um, unbelievable. But after that, you know, I, you, you, you'd be happy to trade out your second rounder, your third rounder, obviously, um, because you can get equal um, opportunity here and get an extra year of development into the kids in this draft. Excellent. So I, we're going to finish with the, these thoughts. I'm going to ask uh, both of you, Jasper and Jono, um, to put your thoughts on the table. And then when we do our post-show, we can reflect back on what actually happened. So Jasper and Jono, firstly, what happens to pick four on draft night? Yeah, um, I think uh, I kind of answered it before, but I expect currently um, we're going to take Elijah Sardis um, with pick four, which will turn into pick five on draft night. Um, I think that's the most likely option at this point in time, as I alluded to before, he's, um, his best is head and shoulders above the rest of the draft board if it plays that as we expect up to that point. 
Yeah, I think in in any other year we might have seen Adrian take a little bit of a risk on Philippou, but I think given the noise and the what's happened with the review and and um, and the like, I think he'll be a little bit more conservative and, and take the best player, which I think the the collective um, is Elijah. So I reckon we'll go there. Yeah, I I think potentially the noise around Philippou could be about trying to draw out an appropriate trade. You know, if, if clubs think we're not that keen on Sarsis, they might think they can put in a good offer and, and get that pick off us if, if they think Philippe is who we're really after. Yeah, I think that's um, that's about right, Yumi. Yeah, that's right. Uh, the next thought, uh, what pick is Alan Davy Jr. taken with? Jasper, we'll start with you. Um, I think he's... It's, it's Like I said before, the over-under, I'd have it about 22 and a half. I think um, I'd take the overs there. I think he just makes it past the the Essendon selection and we get to take a, a second rounder as well, which will be a, a huge result. You add in the possibility of Anthony Mankara um, and then Jaden Davey as well, who could be pre-listed as you mentioned, Jono. Um, it could be a sensational night for, for the Bombers if, if he does make it through. And I'll, I'll guess that he makes it through to pick 28 maybe um, or around where Collingwood selects. I think they might, they might have a take and have a, have, have a go at him, but we'll, we'll match that very quickly if so. I hope you're right. I, I I hope it plays out that right. I, I'm I just um I just have a feeling that someone's going to bid right before we're we're due to have a pick and it's going to end in well it won't end in tears because we're going to get ourselves a really good player regardless, right? Like if another club puts a bid in at twenty and we have to give up a couple of later picks to get him, then I think we've still got ourselves a good player at a good pick. So, uh, but yeah, I I, I think someone's going to put a bid in that will that will mean that we have to use a couple of picks to to get him. I just look at all those picks that GWS have in the late teens and knowing the history between Dodoro and Jason McCartney, it would not surprise me if yeah. um, McCartney was a, played a bit of funny buggers. And they did just the, lose Bobby Hill as well. So they you know, they, they may see it as, as having a need. Not that they'd realistically think that they get him, but that would be their argument, I guess. Yeah. And so I guess finally, uh, what's your realistic but hopeful dream draft haul? You know, if we if we take five players and we, we have five spots, what Jasper, what is your the five players uh, you would want to see listed with Essendon next to their name after that night? Well, I'd, I'd like to see um, George Wardlaw make it through. I think, as you know, we, we kind of debated before, discussed, uh, I think he's um, the ideal candidate for Essendon to target as that competitive midfielder who has those, you know, really elite traits that can make him a superstar of the game very quickly. Um, other than that, I think Bailey Humphrey is is the player at pick four that is more realistic that we can take and, and the one that I'd be leaning towards. It's a point of difference, but also the, the high upside, the leadership traits, um, being Victorian helps a little bit. And and also he's he's got something about him that I think he, he potentially has the highest upside in this class. Um, and that's, that's saying something because there are some standout candidates for that um, in the top handful of picks. Um, I think... Bailey Humphrey is one that we're going to be talking about more and more heading into the draft. Um, and it's one that the Dons haven't mentioned um, to the media yet. So it'll be interesting to see if there's a reason for that. Other than that, um, Alwyn Davey to, to make it past pick 23. Um, I'd like to see us select Isaac Keeler. I don't think it will happen, but I think he's a standout prospect with, with one of the highest upsides in the draft and um, uh, another Indigenous player to add to our list as well. Um, and then later on, a couple of SA boys who could come across with Keeler, Adam DeLoyer, um, and Jacob Ryan, I think are really good options 
um, if we have a pick left over after we take Jaden Davey and Anthony McCarroll. Yeah, I, I I'm a similar vein of thought, and, and not nearly as close to to anywhere near as close to to the players in the draft as Jasper is. But uh, I think Wardlaw, everything I've seen and read about him, he he ticks a lot of boxes for us. So it would be great if he slipped through and we were able to get him. Obviously, Alwyn slipping past our second pick would be the dream. I, I'd like to see us find another key defender um, in, in this draft. I think we're still. Um, a little bit light on where um, in that regard and, and we don't have a lot of coverage. Granted, we've kept James Stewart who can play both hands, but I, I think we need to, to be looking at that part of our list. And, and if we can um, if we can hold off um, Jaden to the rookie draft, which then means we can keep a spot for maybe looking at a delisted free agent or a, another SSP pick, I think that would be good. Because I think ideally you want to see what we, we get out of our draft hall and then look at some of the players that um, uh, you know, Stocker or um, or Phillips from Hawthorne or, or the like, depending on what we draft and and, and what we might need. Um, I think that would be um, the dream haul for me. Excellent. Well, we'll see how that plays out uh, in a couple of weeks' time. But uh, that's going to close us out for tonight. Just want to say a big thanks, Jasper, uh, for coming on and joining us. Really appreciate it. You've uh, given us a lot of insight, and I think. Uh, all those listening live and, and those listening on the pod are going to be much more informed going into that, that draft. Uh, can you just give us a quick uh, note on where we can find uh, you and what you do? Yeah, I guess on, on Twitter's the main uh, place you can find me until this, this place blows up. But uh, it's <laughs> at JasperC53 is my handle. And I work I do most of my work and all the draft stuff, uh, at the very least, uh, for the Inner Sanctum, which is at in a sanctum underscore au, um, you know all of that kind of stuff is free, not behind a paywall or anything. So you can access all of my articles um, through there. Um, and then other than that, yeah, we've, we'll have a few podcasts out on the draft coming up. Um, and yeah, looking forward to the, to the night. It's it's fast approaching, only two weeks away. Absolutely, and we we'll guess we'll um, we'll re- retweet those um, pods if you um, just to get them out there further further. Because I think, as I said, you know what what you've provided, I think more people are going to have value, take value from if, if they hear it. So the more people that hear your work, the better. But that's that's all from us. Big thanks to all uh, people who've listened live. Big thanks to everyone who submitted questions. Uh, looking like we'll probably have one more show this year. We'll do something post-draft, reflecting on that, and then you know giving our thoughts heading into 2023. John, any final words before we depart? No, not at all, mate. Echo your sentiments. Uh, thanks, Jesper. That was great, Matt. I, I feel like I know a lot more already, so I really appreciate you giving up your time. I know you've got a lot on with your studies at the moment, so thanks very much. Um, we really value it. And, uh, yeah, thanks, everyone, who listened and, and shared some questions and feedback. It's been brilliant. Excellent. Thanks, everyone. Go Dons. Cheers, mate.